One more time, Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be up on the screen. And so, there's this common um, rhythm and event that keeps happening in my household. And it goes like this. Uh, I will be hungry and want a sandwich. And so, I'll go to the kitchen, I'll grab the bread, I'll grab what I need to put on the sandwich, and then I will open the refrigerator and look for whatever condiment I'm looking for, which most of the time is mustard. And so, I'll open the door and I will look in the refrigerator and I will search every square inch of the refrigerator and not find the mustard. So I will know, well, it has to be somewhere in the house. So then I will go through every cabinet, every place in the pantry. I will turn the table upside down looking for the mustard until I finally reach a maximum point of frustration. And then I politely speak into the living room where my wife is sitting, something along these lines. Woman, where have you put the mustard? To which she calmly replies, It's on the second shelf, in the door, all the way to the left. To which I kindly reply, no, it's not. And I go back and look in the fridge. I'm looking right where I think she said. I open the door. I said, it is is not in there. Where is it? And she says again, it's on the second second shelf on the door, all the way to the left, right behind, behind the dressings, honey. And I reply again with all the love and compassion in my heart, woman, no, it's not. And I'll begin to get really angry about it. And finally, she'll come in and she'll walk around the corner because I'm convinced that it's not there because I've looked in the fridge a hundred times. And I'll eventually say something like super egotistical, like, you want to bet? In which case, she goes, fine. If it's right there and I can come point it to you, you have to do the dishes all next week. I said, fine. And so I'm sitting in the kitchen and she walks in and she paid attention. She's normally like texting somebody. She opens the door. She reaches into the second shelf right where she said it was, picks it up, puts it right in front of my face, at which point I grab it. She returns to the living room. I make my sandwich, go to the furthest corner of the house as far away from her as possible, eat my sandwich in sorrow and prideful shame, and we continue on about our day. Now, I'm sure for anybody who's out here, you don't experience anything like that, but human pride is a really interesting thing. And I've noticed when it comes to relationships, especially close relationships, there's a lot of times that we are convinced that we are right, and we'll kind of harden in our minds this absolute that we begin to act on and we begin to press on. And sometimes in relationships, it can even get pretty heavy, and it can be things that are way more serious than just finding mustard in the fridge when you want a sandwich, although that is pretty serious. And sometimes it can get in the way so that we know when we have a ruptured relationship, we know there's something we're supposed to do, but our pride and our stubbornness And our ego gets in the way, and we kind of become very standoffish, and we know we need to go apologize, we know we need to just go talk to that person, but we have convinced ourselves and our minds that it's not possible. And now I need you to stay with me, okay, because like we kind of got the door open on what we're going to be talking about this morning, and now we just need to swing the whole thing open. Because what we're talking about is when our sinful pride, our ego... And that same type of mentality gets in the way between us and our relationship with God. Because in Scripture, there's this term, and it's kind of a scary term. If you've studied Scripture for any amount of time, there's this concept that shows up in various parts of Scripture that refers to having a hard heart towards God or to your heart being hardened towards God. And the first place and the main place we think of where this shows up is when we're talking about Pharaoh and the people of Israel and Moses and as they're coming out of Egypt. Because over and over again in this story, we see this habit, we see this action, we see this choice by Pharaoh to harden his heart against what God is telling him to do. 
And there's a both and to it, and we can't really dig into it this morning, but there's a responsibility on Pharaoh who keeps hardening his heart because he keeps coming in, and, and Moses says, you know, God's telling you that you need to let my people go to this mountain and worship, and we see over and over again that his heart is hardened, and he will not let them go. And God explains that pretty clearly. If you want to dig back into it, you can read Exodus 3 because God blatantly says before this whole venture even begins that Pharaoh will not let the people go unless he sees mighty works before him. And so there are these 10 plagues that happen. And then even after this, after all this catastrophe has befallen Egypt because Pharaoh will not listen to God, he lets the people go and then his heart is hardened again. And he chases them and he chases them into the Red Sea and he ends up dying with all his chariots and all his armies because he has a hard heart. And if we're going to define that plain and simply this morning, what a hard heart or a heart of stone is, it's simply the unwillingness to listen and obey what God is asking you to do. It's a scary mindset. And it comes into play in our lives, and we'll dig into it here more here in a minute, but it's the mindset that you are basically shutting off a part of your life or a decision or an area, and you're going, no, God, I'm not going to do that. And it's not just a one-time decision. It's a mindset, and you see that in the life of Pharaoh. And we're going to jump in here because there's three main places in Scripture where it talks about having a hard heart. And just kind of to, to, to kind of lead the way into this, those three places are in Exodus like we talked about, and then there's a section in Psalms that talks about what's happening in Exodus, and then we get to Hebrews 3, which is talking about that section in Psalms, which is talking about what happened in Exodus. But we're going to start off, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7, and it leads off like this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So I need to make kind of an abrasive observation because we as believers... We hear that, that phrase, a hard heart, and we always kind of associate it with Pharaoh, and we always kind of therefore associate it with non-believers. But our message this morning, if we're going to echo what's within Scripture, if you're a guest, if, you're, if, if you don't proclaim to be a Christian, if, if you're not, not a churchgoer, okay, this message is not for you, but you get to listen in, you get a little inside information, because I'm talking about to the people who are here all the time, because that's exactly what is talked about here. Because you've got to understand, thousands of years later, when we get to this passage in Hebrews, and it brings up this concept of a hard heart, it's not talking about Pharaoh. It's talking about God's people, the nation of Israel. Let that sink in for a minute. So if we're going to contextualize that right now, if we're going to have a conversation about having a hardened heart where you practice on a normal basis of telling God, no, I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to listen to that, or I'm going to ignore that, or the thing that I say often that we like to do in a lot of church services or in moments where we feel like God's telling us something, we're just going to purpose to not think about it. And you try to blank your mind out and just forget it. That's the practice of having a hard heart. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline of where we're going to end up because here's what the challenge is going to be for you today, and then we're going to really dig in here. Plain and simply, it's going to be this. You have the choice at any moment 
to either harden your heart towards God or soften your heart towards God. When he's given you direction, when he said in Scripture, do this, don't do that, we have an active choice to either harden our hearts and rebel against God or to deepen our relationship with him and soften our hearts and become more perceptive to the things of God. We like to pretend there's a middle ground. We like to pretend that we can put that decision on hold and put it way over there for a later time years down the road. That's a lie. You can't do that. And before we continue on, I just want to pray one more time. So let's pray just real quick. God, we need you right now to reveal in us the areas, the places, the thoughts, the times in our lives where our attitude towards you, our heart towards you has become hard. You could just guide us as we dig in during this time. And Father, we love you and we praise you. And thank you in every way for your blessings in your name. Amen. So that's going to be our question this morning. And I just want to give you a heads up. This is not going to be a morning where I want you to sit there and think, that's a good message. Somebody else needed to hear that. Because the nation of Israel, if you think back and you think through this story, this was a nation that was consumed with earthly comfort. They were so scared of change. They were so worried about what was going to happen, but they witnessed so many miracles, and throughout their whole time and this whole journey, these people end up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their rebellion, because they continue to harden their heart towards the things of God. And so that's the question this morning, where are you actively hardening your heart towards God? And one of the biggest areas we can keep reading here in chapter, in verse 12, is that of sin. It says, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if we, in, in, if we indeed we hold our original confession from the end. As it is written, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as it is as they did in the rebellion. So sin's a deceitful thing. Temptation is a deceitful thing. And here's the reality of being a human. You're going to be tempted. You were born with natural desires, sinful desires to rebel against God. And I'll give you a truth to remember about temptation. Temptation does not leave you unchanged. Hear me clearly. Temptation does not leave you unchanged. Because it goes one of two ways. Either you give in to the temptation or you resist the temptation. That's really it, right? You either give in or you resist. And here's what happens when you do that. If you give in to the temptation, if you deny what God's going to do, what you're doing is you're practicing hardening your heart and ignoring the things of God. You get that mental debate in your mind of, no, it's okay, da-da-da, no big deal, but God will forgive me. But what's happening with inside of you when that happens? You're practicing ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
you give in again and again and again, and then it gets easier and easier. It starts to enter this realm where then it's not that big of a deal. But temptation doesn't leave you unchanged. Now let me give you the victory version of this. Let's say you resist temptation in your life. And this is the one that's weird for me as a believer that I had to really realize. Because I seem to think that in my life that when I'm tempted, when something comes up that I know I shouldn't do, and then I don't do it, I think I remain neutral. Like I think I just survived it. Do you know what I mean? You sit there and all of a sudden there's this temptation, whatever comes into your mind, and you're like, no, I can't do that. And all of a sudden you just like, nope, get away from it. You flee from it. You do whatever Scripture says, and you're just done with it. You're sitting there crying out to God, God, please remove this temptation. And he says, no, this is a test. And you say, okay, I need you to rescue me. And he provides a way out so that you don't give in. Do you know what that does in your heart? That's a practice right there of being absolutely obedient to God. Temptation doesn't leave you unchanged. So if you're here this morning and there's this temptation, like the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now, it brings to the thing, that thing up in your mind that you're always tempted for, and you're sitting there going like, man, the number of victories I have over this temptation are like one and a hundred. Man, that one's a big deal. But you've got to understand that sin and temptation don't leave you unchanged. You're either practicing being obedient to God or you're practicing hardening your heart and rebelling against God. And that's a big danger there. Because when we look at the nation of Israel, and as it says right there, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they continued to harden their heart to God. And I need you to think through, if you know much about this story, everything that they witnessed We're talking about a group of people that witnessed the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, their daily nourishment. Literally, food fell from the sky. Manna from heaven in the wilderness, 40 years, they're going out to collect it. They daily encountered something that we would call miraculous, that to them became non-miraculous, ordinary, and boring. And so eventually their rebellion led to this path where their hearts were so hardened against God that they never entered the promised land. And so we put ourselves in a place where we're practicing one of two things. We're either severely hardening our hearts against God or we're doing everything we can to soften our hearts and move towards God. And I'm not saying we're going for perfection here because we're not going to reach perfection this side of eternity. But I'm trying to give you some fight words that when you're under temptation, you understand the reality that you're either moving towards God or away from God, okay? This idea of this neutral, this coast, this pause that we have in our spiritual life, it does not exist, And we don't want to be a hard-hearted people in any area of our life. We want to pursue God with everything that we are, and that's a continued thing. Temptation doesn't leave you unchanged. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. For those who heard and yet rebelled, was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he provoked for 40 years, was it not with those whose sin, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? 
So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And I know this is a heavy passage, and I know we just talked about sin and temptation, but there's other places where we harden our hearts as well. Because this people, this nation of God that was in the presence of God that would watch Moses go into the tent of meeting and it would be covered by a pillar and they'd fall down and worship and they did this on a regular basis, but they still are talked about as a hard-hearted people. Part of me wonders, like, were they sitting around and their approach was, well, it's not a big deal, everything's okay. Like, we still have food, Moses is still here. And some of you wonders, like for us now in this circumstances, I mean, we do a really good job of that in the church, don't we? Like you, you drive here on a Sunday morning and like, you know, you're like, like it's, it's a Sunday morning, so trying to get ready on a day of rest is kind of like counterproductive in your own brain. And so like it's a horrible car ride here and you're yelling at people and you walk in the door and all of a sudden you're like, hey, how are you? Perfect. And it's heavier than that. Like there's times like I'm sitting there shaking hands with people and I kind of know a backstory and I'm like, life's falling apart right now and you're smiling, telling me everything's okay. My question is, is at some point are our hearts hardened because we're so good at pretending everything is okay? Like we think that like the joy of the Lord means we can't be real and we can't acknowledge the problems we have in our life. And I'm talk- not talking about like the way you put yourself off to other people. Okay, just, just, just let me be clear of that. I'm talking about the way you assess what's going on in your life in your own mind. Well, something tells me the people of Israel, when you read and you see this pattern, that over and over again, they're either wanting to rebel and go back to Egypt, or they get to the edge of the promised land where they're supposed to have a land flowing with milk and honey, and they just have to do this and be obedient to God and go in and conquer, and they go, no, 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 we're good. That looks really hard and challenging. I think we can just walk around in a circle, and we'll let our kids handle it. Maybe it's time for you, between you and God, or you and a couple other close friends, to quit pretending that everything is okay. Because that's a state of a hard heart as well. And I'm going to be honest, I've, I've been in ministry for about 16 years. And some people who have been heading on the edge of their path in life and have made some bad choices, and they're sitting there, and they're just right on the edge of destruction are people who will sit in my office smiling and telling me everything's okay. When it is physically, emotionally, and obviously apparent that it is absolutely not. They just don't want to change. When it comes to the church body, man, I've sat in some church services. And if you're not aware of like the condition of the, the, the church in the United States, like there are a lot of churches who are like closing their doors. Like, at some point in history, evangelism no longer became a thing, and discipleship no longer became a thing, and their numbers have continued to dwindle. And I've sat in church services where I'm in this huge building with just a few people, and it's really obvious that they're on the edge of not being able to financially be able to do this anymore. Like, they can't even afford to turn the power on. And I sit in these church services, and I sit in there, and I go, why is everybody acting like things are okay? Like, why am I sitting here and everybody's like, like oh, yeah, that's good. And, and I mean, like, I remember I sat in one service and I watched two people do a VBS promotion with a room full of no kids. Like, there were about 50 people out there. All of them were over my age, like, beyond, beyond the having young kids stage. And they did a VBS promotion. Why? Because they'd done it the last 25 years. 
And I'm sitting there looking around going, wait a minute. Like maybe I'm missing something. Like maybe maybe there's like like we're we're having a big outreach conversation right here, but that doesn't sound like what they said. And we're sitting here pretending like everything's the same as it was 20 years ago when it's not. At some point, you've got to stop pretending like everything's okay and put everything on the table. And that's a spiritual discipline that gets very, very difficult because we are incredibly skilled at sitting back and looking at our lives and taking worldly wisdom and then kind of twisting it into a a half-God truth that leads to us following a selfish path. You know how many times I've watched somebody, or how many times me, okay, let me, let me just confess. You know how many times I've used the excuse, well, I have to take care of my family and I've got to do what's best for us as a motive for a selfish reason, but I make it sound kind of churchy? Oh, family first, you know, I really need to just support right now and therefore I, I need a Ferrari, okay? My kids would love it. No, not that extreme, but you know what I'm talking about. I'll make excuses on why I don't need to sacrifice for God, and I'll write it off under I need to be a good parent when actually it's selfish. Are you willing to question everything about yourself in order to soften your heart towards God? And here's where it gets really scary. There was one point in my life, I remember I was sitting in my office, and I was actually listening to a podcast, and the pastor was sitting there, and he was talking. And he was talking about your growth as a believer. And he threw out this question. He says, in the last five years, what's changed? Like, really? Like, like, like not like in an earthly sense, like we moved houses, or, you know, we got a new car, or uh, we hang out with different friends now, or, we, you know. He said, not that. Spiritually, what has God broken you of? I remember sitting there thinking through that, and I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Let me, let me go through this, because, like, like, I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian. Like, I got this. And, man, I couldn't think of anything. And the pastor went on. He asked this question. I'll ask this question to you. When was the last time you were broken over your own sin and rebellion before God? Let me ask that one more time. When was the last time you fell on your knees before God, grieved over your own sin and brokenness. Because if we're not perfect yet, if we don't have it all figured out, but our posture in life is to go, oh, well, we're, we're better than most people. Uh, I, go to, I go to church every Sunday. Like at what point do we sit here and we go, God, we want you to search our hearts. We want you to really dig in and take out what is wrong within us. We want you to bring it to the surface. And dear God, we, we don't want to ignore it anymore. Whatever it costs me on earth, it is worth it for knowing you. Well, straight up, this is a scary passage. And it ends with that phrase, Unbelief which is what revealed that nation of Israel had, okay? They never really had a commitment to God. They had a commitment to what God could do for them. And whenever he didn't give them an earthly pleasure, whenever he didn't give them an earthly thing that they wanted, then all of a sudden, ah, let's go back to Egypt. And so what I'm asking you this morning is don't play this game. Don't walk into church week after week 
and remain unchanged. Because here's the truth. I said earlier, I said this truth about temptation. Temptation doesn't leave you unchanged. You know what else doesn't leave you unchanged? An encounter with the presence of God. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where the body of believers come together and the presence of God shows up. They're not falling on their face in repentance. Where the power of God is not changing people and shifting people. So that brings me to ask the question, what are we doing in here every week if for the last months, years, whatever, we have not made a single change in our lives in seeking God? We're playing a really weird game. And let me say that more clearly. I'm asking you that on a personal level because week in and week out, we encounter people that walk in here. We all sing together. We hear the word of God and the spirit moves and it leads them to make a change in their life. They make a shift. They make a move. They begin to pursue God in a new way. But I'm asking you personally, If we say we come in here and we worship God and we all come together in his presence, then you can't do that week after week and remain unchanged. And change is a scary word. It absolutely is a scary word. But the reality is, is it's going to happen whether you like it or not. The world around you is going to change. The church is going to change. The scriptural truths about the church are never going to change. But all the earthly things that we like and where we sit and how this is done. You know, a long, long time ago, y'all be sitting in pews. And those pews would be real uncomfortable. Like, I grew up at a First Baptist church. Like, legit uncomfortable. It changes. Music changes. God doesn't change. We change. When we encounter the presence of God, we change change. That's why it's disruptive. Have you ever sat in a church service and you start to get like mentally squirmy? Like the pastor's talking about one thing and then all of a sudden your brain's over here because the Holy Spirit has provoked something in you, an action, a thought, a mental process that you need to shift. But yet we sit there and we play that mental game and we make an excuse why we can't. We'll do this and that and the other. You can't walk into the presence of God and leave unchanged. Because if you do that, you know what you're doing? You're hardening your heart to the presence of God. I'm not saying you're going to have this huge revelation every Sunday. There's a lot of Sundays I come in here, and when I consider it a great Sunday, is when, man, all of a sudden I am reinvigorated by worshiping beside my brothers and sisters in Christ to continue to pursue the direction God is leading me. But, man, if it's been years since the last time you can sit there and think of something God directed you to do, or, you know, five minutes into this sermon, you went, oh, no, I've got to spend the next 30 minutes not thinking about this thing the Holy Spirit's telling me that I need to do. Don't practice hardening your heart this morning. And I've done that before. I've gone through seasons in my life. I've gone through years in my life where I have hardened my heart to something very simple that God has directed me to do, that the Holy Spirit's been doing within me. And just 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 side note, just so you know, Scripture and the Holy Spirit always go together. Okay, the Holy Spirit's not going to direct you to do anything outside of Scripture. And if you're one of those people, I went through the season in my life where I was sitting there wondering what the will of God was in my life, and God, what do you want me to do in all this? And God revealed to me very quickly, I want you to read Scripture and be obedient. 
Because God's more concerned about my obedience to his commands than he is about whether we move or not. Whether we send our kids to this school or that school. He's more worried about my personal holiness than he is that. There was a season in my life I had hardened my heart to a decision that I had made. And so my prayer life went like this almost every single time, okay? Anytime I'd sit down, I'd really dig in, and I'd start praying. I'd say, God, I just need you to guide me in doing this. And he'd be like, same thing. You know that decision you still haven't made, that conversation you still haven't had, that I've been telling you for two years you need to have because it's within Scripture that if there's something between you and one of your brothers, you need to go do it? You need to go do it. I said, okay, God, yeah, I got that, but I need to go. And I was, nope, we're not moving past it until you get right here. But I'd harden my heart to it. Don't do that. It's a scary practice to say no to God and become good at saying no to God and to continue to shut him out. And so here's where we get nervy right now. Okay, here's, here's where, like, like as I was writing this down, I was going through this and there were a lot of things this week that I felt really unsettled about with this. But when I was sitting there and I was writing down that closing part where we get to the end, I thought, okay, this is going to be insane. Because, God, you want me to get up here and you want me to talk about this heavy passage about how we harden our heart and then we're going to get to the end of the service and basically I'm going to say the same thing we do every week, right? Have you given your life to Christ? Do you spend real time with him? Is there something you need to act in obedience about? Do you need to join a group and have other believers around you? Is there somebody you need to pray about evangelistically teaching? If you are, then I'm going to be down front and the band's going to play. And if you need to come spend time in prayer, then there's going to be people in the lobby and we do it every week. But the reason all of a sudden the mood changes when we hit that point is because we've hardened our hearts to those words. And they begin to come ho- become hollow, right? We hear them all the time. Obedience to God is not complicated. It's challenging, but he doesn't make it rocket science. Dive into his word this week. Do you know why we, all, we open up the, the, the front up here for you to come forward and pray before other believers? Because on the human level, it's one thing if you sit in your seat and you go, okay, I'm going to write this down on the back of the bulletin that I'm going to throw away when we leave that I need to do. Man, it's the next level of self-accountability if you have to stand up, walk forward, and kneel at the altar in front of people with other people and pray before God. It's a whole nother level to go talk to somebody after the service about what you need to do to hold them accountable. As believers, we need to develop a practice and a skill of softening and listening obediently to what God is telling us to do. Because otherwise, we're hardening our hearts. Hardening your heart is actively practicing disobeying God. Remember Pharaoh? What did Moses say to him? He only said one phrase. Let my people go. He said it once, twice, ten times. The tenth time he says, this is the last time you're ever going to see me. And that this plague is going to be the worst. Let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? Because you got to understand, when Moses is saying my, he's not referring to himself. Moses walks in and he's delivering a message from God to Pharaoh. And he says to Pharaoh, let my 
As in, this is what God is saying to you. People, go. And what does Pharaoh do over and over again? No. What does the nation of Israel do over and over again? They continue to desire worldly comfort over God. Like, that's it. Over and over again. The pleasures of this world versus God. So when they're in the desert, they don't like it. They want to go back to Egypt. When they get to the promised land, which is a land flowing with milk and honey and blessing, and God says, I want you to go do this. Nope, we're good in the wilderness. When God says, you shall worship no other gods before me, and Moses is up on the mountain, and you're supposed to wait here, then all of a sudden they go, no, 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 uh, well, what do we do? Uh, Let's have a party and make a new God. They practice over and over again, hardening their hearts. And I don't know what that means for you this morning. The band's going to come back up. They're going to play a song. And I know this applies in a lot of different ways. But starting right now, you've got to practice obeying God instead of rebelling against God. Because you're not going to leave here this morning unchanged. And for a lot of us, look, okay, I get to sit out there with you a lot of the time. There's a lot of times I walk into the room. And Michael or whoever's up here starts talking, and the Holy Spirit's pressing on me the same thing he did last week. And I know at that moment, I've either got to be obedient in handling that, or I'm hardening my heart for another week. And I'm developing an unhealthy habit between me and God. And I don't want to spend my life wandering around for 40 years and let the next generation do what I was supposed to do. So this morning, I'm going to pray the band's going to come up. I'm going to be down front right here for just a few minutes. I'll gladly pray with you. The altar is open. So if you just simply need to just come up here before God and pray, please, by all means, do it, okay? It's a small thing, and I'm not trying to just emotionally manipulate or guilt you into it, but you've got to understand the way the human brain works. You coming up here and praying is a big deal. Because that opens that door for you saying yes to God and you saying no to God. You walking over to somebody else who's in the room and having a conversation with them, pulling them out in the hall because you need to reveal what's going on within your heart because God's been provoking you to do that for a while. You going into the lobby and finding a group to go to. You going home this afternoon and for the first time in a long time, opening the word of God and going, I'm going to do this every day. We've got to practice being obedient to God. And I don't know what the Spirit's guiding you to do this morning. But whatever it is, you're not going to leave here in neutral. Okay, you're not going to walk out this door and it's, it's not delaying it just another week. Your heart's either going to soften and open up and begin to be ready to perceive the act and movements of God. Or your heart's going to be hardened. And you're going to walk out of here continuing to practice shutting him out. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up, so let's pray.